This is from the 15th chapter of Matthew, uh, verses 1 through 20. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us now to listen to it. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Christian hygiene. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, welcome once again, uh, everyone. My name is Albert for first time uh, friends and visitors. And uh, welcome to those online. Uh, thanks for joining us. And especially if uh, you are still investigating Jesus Christ and Christianity, um, we hope that uh, your time with us here, and especially as we get into Scripture, uh, that you will truly see more of Jesus and what it means to uh, place your faith in Him and follow Him. 
Uh, so I do want to talk about Christian hygiene. I put hygiene in quotes because I don't mean physical hygiene, like taking a shower or brushing your teeth, uh, but uh, a spiritual hygiene, a, a cleanliness of the soul. Uh, and we'll see what, what uh, Jesus means by that. So I want to begin by asking the question. I'm going to do a little group counseling here. Uh, what gets under your skin? Uh, what are the people, things, circumstances that um, get under your skin, that annoy you, that irritate you, and then as we go down the, the spectrum of emotions that anger you, that even draw out wrath from you. But also, on the positive end, uh, what are the people, things, situations that make you happy, uh, that, that draw out all the positive spectrum of emotions, gladness, joy, a smile, uh, generosity. Now, to go a little bit deeper, remember group counseling session here, uh, what evokes, what, what are those people and situations and things that actually evoke uh, your emotions, that, that make you emotional? And especially if your temperament or personality is more uh, my wife calls me a robot, so if you're a bit more like me, and you actually get to a place of emotion, what are those things? Now, to go even a bit more deeper and, and to focus in a bit more, uh, what do your objects of delight and or wrath uh, and all those evoked emotions say about you? And if you want to just put aside even faith and Christianity, if you just want to grow as a human being, uh, for, for those watching and you don't necessarily have the reference point of Christianity, just even grow as a human being, these are good questions to uh, ask yourself uh, to become more self-aware and, and therefore become aware of how you can grow and mature. But I want to say to you today that God, above all, cares about our answers to these questions. And Specifically, and most importantly, what is revealed uh, are your affections. The most important thing that is revealed uh, are your affections. Uh, we use that word a lot around here. And so to make sure we're all on the same page, uh, let me define affections as simply as possible. Uh, affections are simply, in the most simplest sense, your heart's attachments, uh, and what I like to call your trumping loves, a love in your heart that trumps other loves. And so certainly there is a, a hierarchy of affections in your heart. There's an order of priorities and loves in your life, and if uh, a lesser affection is challenged by a greater affection, an attachment, then that greater one will trump. Um, that lesser affection. Let me, let me give a very practical example that happened just this past week. Uh, this past week was a very busy week for me, um, but then I got a, a notice from some buddies of a spontaneous lunch gathering, uh, but because I was feeling stressed in this very busy week, uh, I thought, no, I'm not going to go. And so there was emotion of stress, and that was attached to uh, an affection of wanting to uh, be responsible and get my work done. And that was greater than my desire, my affection for my buddies at that moment.
But then my thought process continued because then they revealed what we're going to have for lunch. And it was a smoked meat sandwich place. And just the thought of a mile high smoked meat, buttery, fatty, you know, sandwich and sinking my teeth into that, that was obviously, apparently, a greater affection in my heart because then I decided, okay, I think I can squeeze in a little time here. But then I thought a little bit more, and these buddies of mine, uh, they know that I'm, I want to share Christ with them. They don't all necessarily follow Christ yet. Uh, and so that became an affection as well, an affection from them from a, a spiritual angle. But let's say last second, I got a call from my wife right before the lunch, say, hey, my lunch hour just opened up. Would you like to spontaneously grab lunch? And I'm pretty certain that in that moment, she would trump my spontaneous other plans, and I would long to be with her and have lunch with her. And so I'm trying to show you an example of how there are competing affections. There's a hierarchy of affections in my heart, and they, those affections even evoke certain emotions in how I make my decisions. I hope as we work through the passage today that, you know, the Spirit uses every sermon in every different way and speaks to everyone in many, a million different ways, but I hope one way that I think the, the point of the passage that is here today, that there will be something stirring your heart to want to pray to God by faith, to, to continue your relationship with Him and conversation with Him in this way, or a prayer similar to this. Lord, give me new. Give me new affections for you and your kingdom. So I want to draw out four things from today's passage. First, uh, that we were created with affections. Second, that our affections went haywire at the fall when sin entered existence. And third, Jesus came to redeem and even woo our affections back to God. And finally, what does it look like to live out our affections for Christ? So first, the important reminder that you and I are created with affections. I am increasingly convinced, the older I get, that as human beings, we are driven by our affections. All our decisions in life, the way we look out on the world, how we respond to situations, all, it's all driven by our affections. And why? Because we were created with affections. I'll show you from the passage in a second. But a person who's thought deeply about this uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, and he wrote uh, in older English uh, a great um, just piece called The Religious Affections, uh, but hopefully we can translate this to just even our everyday English. But he says that the affections are the lively inclinings of the will. That's his way of defining affections. Meaning, uh, in your will, your decision-making, that's what the will basically is. Your decision-making and uh, what causes you to, uh, you know, just act in a certain way, the affections are those things when your will comes alive, when it's easy for you to want to do something, when it's easy for you to make a decision and a choice over one person or thing over another. Those are your affections when your will comes alive. John Piper has a beautiful uh, metaphor. I think that is really uh, helpful. And he says... Our affections then are like a magnet. You ever experienced the, the power of a magnet where it just snaps to the refrigerator wall? 
or, or there's another magnet, just snaps to another magnet. And the affections uh, is when our will snaps in a certain direction, when it snaps and attaches to a certain person or thing or situation. And conversely, when our will recoils uh, with some kind of hatred or, or just, you know, just uh, disliking, that's also, it reveals something about our affections. Jonathan Edwards continues to explain the most important affection, which is in the purest good sense, the, the biblical sense of the word religion, uh, of love for God and living that out in everyday life. Um, he says, but it is doubtless true and evident from the scriptures that the essence of all true, true, true religion lies in holy love. And that in this divine affection, a habitual disposition to it. So what, what does he mean in everyday language? He's saying the most important affection that we've been created with is to know God's love. That we are created to know God, to be loved by him, and to love him back, and to love others with his love. And that is the most divine attachment, the divine trumping love that's supposed to be playing out from within us and outward. And it's meant to be a habit. It's meant to be a lifestyle. So just imagine with me, um, Adam, the first human being, and he was created an adult. He didn't come into the world as an infant, but, but even as an adult, and as he awakens, his eyes open, and we get a clear sense from Genesis that he had a wonderful, I think we could even say perfect relationship with God. And just imagine like a newborn infant becoming awakened and conscious of these two people in the infant's life that is loving them, that is holding them, that is warm toward them. And in a similar way, Adam waking up as a human being and in his heart, there's this affection, the holy love, the divine affection. He's becoming aware that there's a God who's created him and he is for him and wants relationship with him and has created life and the playground of this earth for uh, Adam to enjoy and to cultivate and to be fruitful. And so the psalmist wonderfully says in Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And, and what I want you to think about with me is just that our hearts really were created to be awakened to God, to know his holy love and to have that deepest affection and attachment and trumping love in our hearts. That's why even in the New Testament, Paul, in writing to Christians in Colossae, he says, set your affection. That's the King James Version translation. Uh, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your attachments and your trumping love on things of Christ and his kingdom. Now, where do we see it in today's passage? Let's pick up in verse 1. And we read Matthew's description here, the Pharisees and scribes, and if you're not familiar with them, uh, basically they were the religious leaders of the time, and they were quickly becoming Jesus' rivals, even enemies, and to the point where they began to plot his death because they uh, very much did not... Uh, ...your irritation, even your wrath. See, what's going on here, what I want you to see is that the Pharisees are irritated. Their emotions coming out. 
There's from irritation to anger to annoyance, maybe even wrath and condemnation in their hearts towards Christ and His disciples. And the point is here, they're asking this question because they have certain affections. They have certain attachments and priorities and what they think is more important in their hearts. And so again, just how we started out, what, what do my peeves, my triggers, my objects of both delight and wrath, what do they say about you? If there's one practical uh, application that I hope you can take away from today's message is that you would make it a part of your life if you haven't already to self-reflect and to pay attention to the emotions that arise in given situations for better and worse. And then you would dig a little bit deeper um, to, and, and in fact, make it a point of prayer and relationship uh, with the Holy Spirit to say, search my heart, investigate me, see if there be any offensive way in me. You see, emotions... But when you respond, for better or worse, it's a manifestation of an affection. That's where emotions come from. Uh, from whatever you're attached to, right? Just from my own life, uh, I find myself oftentimes when I just have a little, for example, just dropping the keys, right? For some reason, that really annoys me. And, and I, I just feel this anger seething and it's often just I'm, I'm my, by myself, but all the more, like, I'm noticing it. But I think, for me at least, one thing that God continues to work through in my heart is that there's a deep desire for control, you know, just for peace, calm. And, and that's my affection. That's what I deem important. I'm attached to it. And so even a simple dropping of the keys, that little annoyance, it threatens my sense of control. That's me, Okay. And so when I become upset in that, with that little incident, it's revealing some deeper affection. Emotions, then, are as strong as your affections. If you have a strong attachment, let's uh, clear a simple example. Two lovers. And uh, one person, there's someone trying to seduce your lover from away from you. That should be, most likely will be a deep affection, a deep attachment, and so it will elicit even stronger emotions. Uh, but also on the positive, if you are successful in some situation and there was a deep affection towards you know, accomplishing that achievement, then the emotions will be strong as well, the joy and the jubilation. But what this also means then, your emotions... How you respond in situations are as healthy as your affections. We talk about anger management, and there's some wisdom to that, but we have to be careful of not just dealing with the emotions. You always have to get under the emotions to the affection that is producing that emotion. And so your emotions and how you respond to people and situations will be reflective and will only be as healthy as your affections your affections are in right order and set and attached to the right things and people. Now, conversely then, emotions are as unhealthy as your affections. And what we have to understand then, second big point today, is that our affections, they went haywire at the fall. The, the, the gateway to sin entering was a challenge to Adam and Eve's affections. 
Eve all of a sudden was, was seeking to be attached most deeply to her own wisdom to become God and like God. See, the, the hierarchy of her affections was being tempted and challenged. And now, until Christ comes and fully redeems, uh, we're still living in between where this world and all our hearts and our affections have become confused and they went haywire at the fall. Now, because of our fall then, or because of the fall and sin in our hearts, our emotions, they're only as trustworthy as our healthy affections. Our feelings, our emotions, they're only as trustworthy as our healthy affections. Looking back on my life, and also now observing my kids as they continue to grow up, uh, I have had an overall, and I see my kids in real time, they have an overall losing record when they just trust their feelings and their desires. As things as practical as cavities <laughs> result from just following their desires and feelings and just eating whatever they want and not brushing their teeth at the right time. When I look at my own life from childhood to adolescence to even adulthood, overall, I have a losing record. When I've just followed my feelings in and of themselves, overall, it's led to wrong decisions. But overall, there's a winning record when my decisions, my will is based on a rightly ordered set of affections and a reasoning, a biblical reasoning, a wisdom, and truth. And so emotions, they can't be fully trusted because of the fall. They can only be trusted as much as they are are really attached and coming from healthy affections. Now Jesus here, I think one way we can read today's passage is, is that he draws out this whole dynamic. And so in verse 3, picking up, he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God? See, the commandment of God, the pure commandment of God proper, not all your other additions to God's law and making things up yourself, but God's law proper is meant to be your highest affection, but now instead your love for your own ways, your own law, your own teaching, it trumps your love for God. And so Jesus calls them out. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, Jesus points out, and he is fair and honest, and he brings a real example to them. And the example he brings up is, this is one way that their affections were so, that had gone haywire. Uh, for God commanded, honor your father and mother. That's the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now I want you to just right there, notice how emotional even this, these commandments are. Honor is a, deeply, uh, is a deep emotion. Uh, reviling surely die. These are intense words because they're connected to a deep affection. But what the Pharisees and the scribes did, so Jesus pointed out here, verse 5, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me financially, oh, that's what it means here, instead is given to God, what the religious leaders had come up with, their own rules and tradition, then if you say that, 
then you don't have to support your aging parents financially. See, the, the situation here was uh, as parents aged, as you had become capable of giving back to your parents and taking for care of them in their old age, that was the godly and right thing to do. And surely, if you understand God and His grace and how He has uh, just lavishly loved you, uh, there, there should be just a natural desire to care for aging parents. But what we know from history is that these religious leaders, the reason why they made up this rule so that people could divert their finances away from their parents was a few reasons. A, these finances would instead be given to the temple and that was deemed as a greater honor, a false pietism to feel good about yourself that I'm making these great, uh, even sacrificing the care of my parents. But we also know that there was definitely embezzlement going on. There were religious leaders that were putting this money and shavings of it into their pocket, and they were becoming rich from it. And so they created this little system, which appeared all pious on the surface. And they created rules that would just benefit them in an earthly manner. And so Jesus calls them out. See, what's really going on here is that you have loved yourself. You have loved money. You've attached yourself to these things and made them your deeper affections than the love of God and His ways and His rules. And so Jesus spells it out black and white, just reading the, the highlighted red portion here in verse 6. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the Word of God. So let's pause there. And Christian discipleship, uh, what, what that means is that the path of growing as a Christ follower and the path of continually what we call being sanctified, having the Spirit continually to mature us and develop us into deeper Christ-likeness, one very real concrete uh, understanding and approach to that is a continual reordering of our affections because we are driven by our affections, our choices. And if you, we want to make more and more right choices, then it has to come from a rightly ordered heart. And those choices will become more and more natural uh, and not forced, not just empty duty and obligation, but really from the heart because we are increasingly doing it in response to God's great love for us in Christ. Now, on our own, this is hard. I dare say even impossible. And that's why we always need to think about how Jesus is our hope. How Jesus came to redeem and woo our affections back to God. Um, the Pharisees, I'll give them a little bit of credit today, they were right about one thing. God does care about a clean heart. And that's where uh, the, the title comes from, Christian hygiene. God does care about a clean heart. Now, the Pharisees had set up a false system to appear clean by obeying their traditions and rules. But really, underneath that, it was at the cost of breaking God's commands proper. And so, on one hand, at least a little bit on the surface, they got one thing right. But how a heart is made clean and, and just declared clean and right before God, they were completely off. And so Jesus is much, 
He was not afraid to call these people out and he accuses them. You hypocrites. You actors, meaning acting one way on the surface, but in your hearts, your motive is completely devious and ulterior. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips. Now notice this, but their heart, their heart is far from me. That word heart there is just a synonym for affections. Their affections are far far from me. Jesus makes the issue the heart. True Christianity, the starting place, is that God is dealing with your heart. We're all, yes, right obedience and right action and conduct, morals, that all comes, but after, it's secondary. Primary first is God dealing with your heart. And so, take in this idea, this this truth. Jesus is after our hearts. Let that be the beginning and end of your day. To begin by offering up your heart, Lord, here's my heart. Fill my heart. Keep speaking to my affections. Show me how you really are my delight. I want you to become increasingly my delight. And end the way that day. And and, and avoid, here's another idea for you, avoid what sadly even a lot of Christians, they, they reduce Christianity to just behavior management and not dealing with the heart. I think dealing with the heart is, is, is harder. And so in some sense, because it's harder work, it's like, okay, just tell me what to do. Remember when there was a season I was going to see a counselor, and uh, I, I was a little frustrated because I thought the counselor was just giving me some surface techniques to try to deal with my situation. I said, counselor, let's go deeper. Like, help me figure out what the root issue is. Like, you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to do this? Because it's going to be a lot harder. And so we reduce ourselves to just trying to manage our behavior, whereas what God wants to do is to, from the core, from the inside out, renovate our heart. And so Jesus observed with me in the text. He goes on to uh, describe his, his frustration, even anger towards uh, these hypocrite religious leaders. And in verse 9, In vain, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And in vain here has the notion of manipulation. So in just trying to manipulate God and make him something that he's not, they think that they're doing right in worshiping me. But instead, no, what they're guilty of is making up, teaching as doctrines, making up their own rules to guide life. And they're teaching it as if it was God's ways. In that same uh, writing, Jonathan Edwards, he says, men will trust in God no further than they know him. Meaning the way our divine affections are, is going to become pure and pure is if we know God for who he truly is and how he has revealed himself to us. Not just making up our own ideas about him. And so Jesus calls out making up our own ideas of God. And so this is really important because if we're going to have right affections, 
If we're going to become attached to the right God and have more uh, increasingly right choices and responses to people and situations uh, come from our lives, it has to come from knowing who God truly is and that holy love that Jonathan Edwards was speaking of. And so again, just to highlight the the other side of Jesus um, exposing their wrong, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. On the flip side of that, this is exactly why Jesus came. Because Jesus came to this earth to show us without any error in 110% purity who God is. And so when we think of Jesus redeeming our affections, he does it in two ways. First, where we fail to love God with all our heart and to follow his ways and to remember who he truly is each and every day and to have our hearts attached to God and for God to be the trumping love in our lives, Jesus amazingly is that one person in history who loves God truly, truly with all his heart, soul, and strength. He's the one who lived out every iota, every dot and tittle of the law so that he would become our perfect substitute. He is the one in his heart where the Father's love and the Spirit was always supremely at the very top of his hierarchy of affections. And he kept that in order. Why? Because he longed to become the one acceptable substitute for you and me. And when we realize how much we have fallen from, first of all, relegating God to a wrong place in that hierarchy of affections, in not obeying God completely. We realize what we actually deserve because of that. And then we realize that Christ has taken our place for that punishment. Then it's Christ's affections, his living out that pure and holy affection that also begins to woo us back. That there is someone, despite my unworthiness, willing to take my place. And then that alone, that's the second way that Jesus redeems our affection. We begin to have our hearts changed. So what does it look like? What does it look like to live out our affections for Christ and to continue to have our affections Godward? And we continue on in verse 10. Observe with me. And he called the people to him and said to him, to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's not all these outward things. And very specifically here, Jesus is declaring all foods for the Jewish people at the time clean. That was radical. That was countercultural and even offensive to the religious leaders. But now Jesus gets at the point. It's a bit of a parable. He says what goes into the mouth is what defiles a person. And Peter was a little confused. And so Jesus explains, no, I'm not talking about, you know, you have to now take on a super food diet and that's what's going to make you right before God and eat clean and eat green and become vegan or whatever it is. But Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's your heart. That's what he's getting at. Now notice again here, 
This is all about the affections and the emotions that are evoked. Verse 12, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? Again, another example of affections playing out and the ensuing emotions that come from their disordered affections. And they were offended. So practically speaking, first, pay attention. Pay attention to your emotions and your motives. Uh, Another way to put that is discern. Begin now, if you haven't already, begin discerning your affections. What are honestly the most important things in my life? What are even very practically speaking, you look at just how you budget your life, your finances, and that can be a telling reflection of what the affections of your heart are. But also in very specific situations, this has become a habit for me now. Pray, and this is sort of akin to, you know, let's say in anger management, when they ask you whatever that magic number of seconds is, try to count a certain number of seconds before you react. Sort of, uh, my version of that is pray when in a certain situation you feel something coming up. In that moment, try to develop the discipline uh, to pray. Why, Spirit, why am I feeling blank? And just even asking that question in your heart as a prayer, it all of a sudden calms me down. Now, I might not figure out exactly why I'm feeling that certain emotion in the moment, but at least it's not going to become something more messy than it needs to be. One of my frustrations in ministry is when I see people trapped in their past, in bitterness, and and in the cowardly tactic of just blaming others for their predicament. And all the more, Jesus here, he's getting at the heart. He's making the heart the issue here. And I hope that you could uh, live into these things this way. Now, Jesus, uh, notice here in verse 18, and he makes it black and white clear. But what comes out of the mouth, it comes from the heart. So even how you respond with your words and the emotions that you respond with, it's coming from your heart, from your affections. And so a metaphor for the Christian life here is that a new heart has to be planted. That's why he says earlier that the Father, he, whatever plant he has planted or not planted, Jesus makes the distinguishment between Followers, true followers of of God and of faith and not these little plants that are planted. So really a new heart has to be planted. And Jesus goes on to list, this is not exhaustive, but everything immoral that really it's coming from the heart. So practically speaking, what the Christ follower uh, makes a focus of their life until Christ brings them home and transforms them to perfection is Continually asking the Spirit for a new heart. Continue to give me a new heart. New affections for you. Frank Thielman, appreciate what he says here. The person who teaches and practices religious rules without the inner transformation of the heart often becomes self-deceived. And so the flip side of that is that really what we need is for the Spirit to continue to create a new heart, but mostly for God, and then from there, everything else good according to God and His ways in the right order. So I hope you'll find it in your heart to pray with me. Lord, give me new affections 
for you and your kingdom. Thank you.